0: Of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy, there is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for?
1: It's time to become
0: a Vox and Hops head.
2: Cheers. This is the
0: Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one.
2: is brought to you by Gilgamesh Brewing. Gilgameshbrewing.com. Try the Mamba, the Oedipus IPA, Vader, the O'Doyle Rules Irish Red Ale, and the DJ Jazzy Hef. Gilgamesh Brewing has been supplying pure pleasure, our staff, and our guests with some of the best microbrewed beers in the Portland metro area based out of Salem, Oregon, started in Turner, Oregon, family-run, owned, and operated. Gilgameshbrewing.com. Check them out.
1: Gilgamesh!
2: What's up, guys? Welcome back to another week of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Adobe Radio. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more content. Great, great, great content this week. My guest is Mike Schleibaum from Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour just released their new record, Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora, on Southern Lord Records, and that record is fantastic. I will say it, uh, I was not paid to say that. <laughs> it is an amazing record. Uh, Mike from Outerloop, uh, their manager, uh, sent me the record about a month, month and a half early, and I got to review it and check it out, spend some time with it before interviewing Mike uh, Schleibom. And uh, the record is just amazing. I mean, it's one of the heaviest records to come out this year. Um, you know, the technicality, uh, the songwriting, it's all just really, really great. Uh, So you guys definitely need to check that out. Uh, I'll put a link to it on the site. Uh, Once again, Darkest Hour's new album, Godless Prophets and The Migrant Flora. Uh, It was out on March 10th, so it's been out for a few days. Um, And I was able to sit down with Mike Schleibom, talk about the new record, uh, talk about life in D.C., talk about touring, talk about all that good stuff. So uh, it's a fun episode. I'm going to play some music from uh, the new album as well. I'm going to play a full song. Uh, and then probably just a little piece of another song. But want to make sure to get that music out there because it is incredible. Uh, and you guys won't be disappointed if you purchase that record or stream it on uh, SoundCloud. Anywhere music's available, you can find it. Uh, it's getting some great reviews. Um, so not a ton going on this week other than that. I uh, want to make sure you know we are on peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram at peerpleasurepod. We are on Twitter at PodPeerPleasure. Uh, look us up on Facebook, like the page. Uh, definitely go out and check out our Amazon affiliate link. Our Amazon affiliate link is on the website. Uh, if you click through there, bookmark it, make your purchases, um, log in as normal, uh, we get 4% of the proceeds, and that really helps the show out. Uh, we got stickers up in the store, uh, three new designs by the great Lance Rowe uh, from Outerloop Management. Uh, he's a great graphic designer and uh, hooked us up pretty good with some sweet stickers Um, And then the pleasure skull you guys see around, a logo on everything, is by Wooden Cyclops, my buddy Wes, uh, in Portland here. He's an amazing illustrator and artist. So definitely check out Wooden Cyclops on Instagram. Uh, Drop him a line. Tell him uh, you like it or hate it. Uh, Either way, I'm sure he'll be glad to hear from you. So let's go ahead and get into my conversation with Mike Schleibom from Darkest Hour, and we'll see you on the other side. Doing? Dude, I'm doing great. Can you hear me all right?
0: Yeah, can you hear me okay? Oh, I
2: can hear you great, dude. I just, uh, <laughs> it's right. been a snafu, dude. I've, I'm uh, actually hijacking a classroom at my union hall for the internet because my mobile recorder I was going to use, I'm having issues uh, where it's recording my voice on my XLR mic and my phone. So I'm getting this robot effect. It's driving me nuts. So
0: No, that is not cool. Well, we'll do our best to make it work.
2: Yeah, so this is I'm now on my my laptop with my actual Blue Yeti mic and with internet on Skype, so this should be great. <laughs> but, uh,
0: cool word! I'm live from inside the van.
2: Excellent. So
0: we're in the belly of the beat.
2: Excellent, a place I'm all too familiar with. My wife jokes because I I always talk about living in a van because I, when my touring days we had those Ford 15 passengers and we decked those suckers out, man, they were home away from home (laughs) yeah this one is not that decked out
0: but uh it is the only quiet spot i've got so it's what i'm gonna work with
2: excellent well uh welcome to the show mike mike schleibomb from uh, darkest hour out on tour now um we're gonna do an in-person but a snow got in our way so we're doing it a few days later and uh where are you at tonight
0: today we are in san francisco at the dna lounge Excellent, but as you mentioned, we were stranded in Reno because of some snow and had to miss the Portland and Seattle date, which was a bummer. But we will be back. We always do come back. So.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, man, and and uh, so this interview was set up through uh, Mike Maori from Outer Loop, your manager, um, been your manager for a, a long time. What like uh, over a decade? <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, um, I mean, I, I guess not over two decades, but definitely over a decade. Probably since 2003. Okay. I Think 2003 or maybe a little even before that. But you know, Mike didn't become an official manager until probably around then. But we are Outerleaf's oldest client, and we are, uh, you know, a band that they've worked with the entire time that they've been a business. So. We are, you know, both excited about that history and proud of it because they've stood by the band when, uh, you know, things were hard and they've also helped when things were good and people didn't understand that we had to work harder. So they've, they've been behind us since day one, for sure.
2: Sure. And uh, I, I bring that up because I've... We've been joking all day today about, well, Mike and I um, met through Jabberjaw um, and basically had a conference call and have not a day has gone by that we haven't either talked or texted all day long, pretty much, about different ideas. And so lately, it's been Darkest hour stuff. And he, he asked me, he sent me the record, I don't know, a month ago, maybe more, um, to review. And I wrote this... <laughs> Fucking crazy long review about it, and he brought it up today because I sent it to him. And I assumed he sent it to you guys, and I was thinking it was going to be hilarious. And he's like, "Hey, you should read Mike that that review on the interview." And I was like, "Dude, that'll take like the whole interview. It's like a, a three paragraphs long." <laughs> and he's oh, like, "God." So he sent it to me again, of course. And I was like, "Dude, I'm not going to read this on the interview." But oh, if please you want don't a, torture me. Yeah, if you want a good laugh, <laughs> uh, you know, I took it. I
0: was. I, we do. We do, read the, we do read the reviews, but as an artist, you just try to, like, oh, you just got to put your armor on and put your head down.
1: Sure. Uh,
0: but the, the the reviews have been really good on this album, so we don't really dread it. Now, every time we look at a review, we're like, what? It's not a 10 out of 10? <laughs> it's not a 5 out of 5? Yeah. Bullshit. Exactly. I think at this point, we expect be 10 out of 10.
2: Yeah. I get and the album is great. I'll put that out there right now. I mean, the album is fantastic. I think it's your best record. And uh, I was blown away. It just, I mean, the 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 whole package was just great. And I wanted to talk a little bit. I, I, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but, but which is cool. But I wanted to talk about making this new record. You crowdfunded this record, correct?
0: Yes. Originally, this record was crowdfunded. And then... As we developed it, we sort of like upstreamed it, or if you will, signed a distribution deal with uh, Southern Lord Records, and now mm-hmm. it will see a wider release to the world via Southern Lord Records on March 10th. Okay. And originally, it was funded by a crowdfunding effort via India Gogo.
2: Okay. And how was that process for you? Like, going from saying, "Hey, let's you know, let's do this on our own." And then setting that up and, and working through that. How was that process for you guys? I know it's fairly, I, I wouldn't say new, but it's it's really starting to pick up speed now with people doing things themselves and, and crowdfunding.
0: Well, I mean, without, without you know, Maori and Outerloop's input, we definitely wouldn't have gone the crowdfunding route. It was absolutely scary and nerve-wracking to dip into. Um, but it wasn't really until we kind of got... We sat down with Loop, We were like, "We've done all sorts of different things, like all new ways of selling tickets via AP things." So it was just one more new thing we were agreed to try, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, without their input and without their push, we wouldn't have.
2: Them. Absolutely.
0: But we leaned on them. But we leaned on them a lot for resources doing it, and I think that's like how it was ended up being so successful. We do have. This relationship with a management company, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so, did you guys have a lot of the record written when you started the the India Go Go, or did you just start it and then start writing from there?
0: Well, we always have like album, like we always have ideas and riffs, and I mean, we were dedicated to making the album, but we didn't have. It was by no means finished when we started, mm-hmm. and. uh we were just kind of looking for the experience to create the album, and it did, you know, like it does every time. So, uh, I think how we went about it, we really couldn't have gone any other way, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I was also curious because you know, going talking with Mike and stuff, and and kind of digging into some things, um, and then I, you know, I heard you were on Josta, and I listened to that interview, and and just kind of like picking things here and there. Um, you have a family now, so you're a you're a family man. You have a kid and a wife. Um and you you're kind oh, of Oh yeah, a, I got a, what's that? What's
0: that? no, I said, Oh yeah, I got a five year old.
2: Oh my god. And okay. I'm a married man. Yeah. And you're kind of a, a metal lifer. I mean how how do you juggle that? Does that inspire you to work harder at what you're doing, or does it hinder you? Um, you know, as far as time constraints and things you might have done differently that you do differently now because you have a child and, and a wife to support. Does that, I mean, are you the only one in the band that has that? Uh, I'm definitely the only
0: band member who currently has a kid and is, you know, married, lives a more traditional lifestyle, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I used to think that having a kid in that kind of lifestyle would be a deterrent to being in a band, but as it's kind of, as I've experienced life, I can tell you that like having a strong family and a support base has absolutely made things easier to be an artist. So in a lot of ways, having a kid has kind of changed my whole perspective and pushed me to at least be a little bit more focused about what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. You know?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And you can't help, you can't help but take that, that away and have it influence everything that you're doing. Um, you know, and so uh, kind of transitioning from a dude who was just a transient nomad to like a parent who's also out here has definitely been an interesting road.
2: Absolutely. I mean, does is touring? I mean, you guys aren't doing huge long tours like in the earlier days, I'm sure. But is, is touring just incredibly hard, being away from the family, or um, is it more hard on them? I guess. Oh uh, no, it's having fun.
0: normal. Uh, no, no. I mean, we couldn't. I don't think we could do this if. I mean, it is it is hard to be away, but, I mean, everybody's kind of adapted. I mean, my daughter thinks, you know, normal. And uh, for the most part, it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can just say that I've developed my life to be at a point where I can have the things that I wanted at home, but also still be able to be out here and create metal albums and do this little art project, Darkest.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's and that's something that you know? that is interesting to me. With with um, you know, I stopped touring before I had kids, but I just couldn't imagine going out on the road for you know two three weeks and being away from the family. But it's also something I've been out of for long enough that I think I'm just grown accustomed to not being out there anymore. Um, but I do, I definitely admire it. Well,
0: when, I mean, I guess I don't. I, well, I don't want to make it sound like you know. Because the reality is that there's, are not, there's not very many people who can make the balance that, you know, I'm, and I and some other dudes I've met out here make. So, uh, you know, it's absolutely a challenge, but it's worth it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then you have, you have I mean, you have things to fall back on, too. You have, um, you were talking in, uh, I think you were talking with Jost about, you do some commercial work and, uh, and stuff like the Discovery Channel.
0: Yeah, I've done um, some some composition for them, and uh, I've done some commercial work, and I think that it's important to kind of get out of your comfort zone musically and try things, and I've been lucky since Washington, D.C. has a big kind of budding TV uh, industry that's around that style of TV, which is like informational television, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I've been lucky to uh, find my way onto a couple shows and do that, as well as record bands, produce bands, albums, you know, do do, a, do edit podcasts. I mean, just sort of like an audio musician for hire, you know what I mean? Sure. Or, or more simply, just a working musician.
2: Mm-hmm. And you get to completely immerse yourself in that doing it. And I had a, um, a, a guy on the show uh, from a band called Ole on uh, Equal Vision. Uh, his name's Jay. A, he he writes everything for him, but he does the same kind of thing, like freelance commercial work. And uh, he he said he really enjoyed it because he gets to just mess around with all the. I mean, you know, you get to the practice space and you start jamming on some you know total bro riff or or something. There's a keyboard around or something. And he totally gets to play in that realm and not put his name on anything and get that out of his system and then actually produce the artwork that he wants to do for his band, which, I mean, do you find the same thing where you can just kind of... Yeah, I mean, I find...
0: No, 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 I mean, when I work on a score or something like that, it's not messing around and it's not fun and it's not experimentation. It's directed work like they want this type of cue here, this type of movement, this type of sound. I mean what I do like about it is that I can be very pragmatic about it and I don't have to be emotional mm-hmm. uh, that is relieving but uh, it doesn't it doesn't it's just really more uh, I in my opinion like it means to an end but I think everybody kind of has a different approach of why they like doing it because mm-hmm. it's solid work and something that I can do but uh, by no means is what I prefer to be doing it or Scratch any itch that you know, being in a band does.
2: Yes. hmm The same satisfaction that you you get you know from doing your own thing, and of course, and and uh, I just think it's a fascinating line of work to where I mean every, it's different so much. I'm sure it's different every time, and uh, having those um, having those constraints, I guess, could be freeing as well because you know exactly what they want and you know how to do it.
0: Well, sometimes you don't know what they want. They don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. The producers or directors don't know what they want either until they see it. So there is a little bit.
2: Are you still there, Mike?
0: The producer and the director and the. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, yeah, I'm here. it was
2: cutting in and out pretty bad. Yeah. I wasn't. Yeah, I'm here. All right. <laughs> and what were you saying there? I'm sorry, uh, it just cut out. So. They, they, no, well most of the work
0: is is like I said managing your clients' expectations like the producer or the editor or whoever you're working with. So that's a completely different thing than than creating music for a band, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: And did you did you grow up in Washington DC or or that area or did you come from somewhere else?
0: No, I grew up on the Virginia side of Washington DC. Out there in the suburbs in Fairfax, Virginia, and uh, I started playing music in high school. And as soon as I realized that everything was going down in the city, we would all we started using our driver's license to go in bands, go to clubs, whatever. And so we were lucky in a sense to be in that area because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of events, there's a lot of bands that come through. And so it it, it, it is it was a great place to grow up, you know, to be exposed to music because there was a lot happening there and always coming through.
2: Mm-hmm. And did you... So So, what was kind of your big foray into heavy music? What got you into heavy music? Was it just punk rock? You got into some harder stuff, like hardcore? Um, like, how did you... Well, did it was all
0: guitar playing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I originally I discovered music. I discovered ACDC.
2: Okay. And then
0: I discovered Van Halen. And then once you had all the classics, this band came along called Pantera that broke in the mid-90s, you yeah. know, and oh, yeah. for me, it was kind of like my Eddie Van Dimebag was like my Eddie Van Halen, because he, he wasn't old, it was new, mm-hmm. it was heavy, it was like kind of like Metallica, and kind of like Slayer, but also
1: like... So,
0: once that happened, I think like once I discovered Pantera, and Metallica, and sort of the basic building blocks of heavy metal, then mm-hmm. at the same time, my friends in Washington, D.C. were kind of falling in love with, like, punk and hardcore and the whole Discord scene. Yep. So there was a nice juxtaposition of, like, listening to heavy bands, but going to $5 punk shows that were all sorts of different people playing all sorts of different types of music, and you kind of could learn really easy, really fast at that level you didn't have to be in pair to play a show or go on tour. You could be anybody. Mm-hmm. And that was different. What I'd seen in heavy metal, it wasn't so like rock star orientated. And I think that's what, you know, why I at a young age to that whole world is because I just want to be out and playing, playing music. And if you were going to get stuck in the showbiz side of things, that was going to be a lot longer. And the whole punk thing was just like, show up and play. Yeah. So, I think a lot of other kids were going through what I was going through because in the mid-90s, there was this vegan, straight-edge, hardcore movement that happened on the East Coast that was sort of like a metal-fying of hardcore and punk, and Darkest Hour was at at the birthplace of that, at the intersection of all that. And I think that a lot of people like me, a whole generation of people grew up liking heavy music kind of that way.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And did you get... So, did you get into that scene? That, that straight-edge, hardcore scene at all? Did, or, like, you know, vegan straight-edge, or, um, you know, like, pretty much everyone did for a little while?
1: Absolutely.
0: We were... Well, we were... Vegan, vegan straight-edge were great. Um, in the 90s, when they were popular, you know,
1: um, mm-hmm.
0: we played so many shows with Earth Crisis, it's hilarious. And... <laughs> Now, we definitely don't share that worldview of philosophy, but I definitely still feel like being a part of Straight Edge was awesome. It's how I discovered, like, hardcore music and hardcore touring, and also, I would say it introduced me to my closest friends, who I'm still friends with. You know, all the original buddies that I got into straight veganism with are all the people that supported this band from day one and are our friends, you know? So it's mm-hmm. weird as the vegan straight edge might seem to people that didn't experience it in the nineties. Like we can't hide. We are straight up from that. We are, <laughs> that's where we're from, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, speaking of straight edge, I have, uh, uh, Ian McKay on the show. He's actually airing this Saturday and, uh, I was talking to Maori about this interview and he's like, Hey, uh Schleibom was in a band with Ian's sister. And uh I wanted to ask about that because he didn't expand on that. He was just uh, just threw it out there and I was like, Well, I'll ask him about it. But um uh, we talked a little bit about that whole the whole I tried to shy away from the straight edge talk on that interview because I'm sure he's been interviewed about a thousand times or more a day on, on that whole thing. But uh is that true?
0: <laughs> Is what true? I don't know. Wait, I missed part of that.
2: Oh, uh, uh, Maori said that you were in a band with Ian Mackay's sister at one point.
0: Well, I have a band that I've been doing with the male chimp suit. Um, we've played two shows. Um, we've recorded, an, I don't know, an EP, but... I don't know for sure which songs are going to come out yet, but we uh, are slowly working on it. It's been really cool because uh, the other people in the band are older than me.
1: Uh-huh. They're
0: from a different scene. They're into different stuff. The band's not a metal band. Like, when we play, they're all ages shows, and there'll be all types of people there, kids and grandparents. and It's just a totally different vibe than Darkest Hour, and I, and I really like it because... Um, I, you know, I started to realize, like, one of the most revolutionary things, like, the Mackays and, you know, that whole philosophy kind of has shown me, at least lately, is that, like, art and music doesn't have to be relegated to just being played in bars. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it can be, like, why do you have a rock and roll show at an art museum? You know, It's a place for art, but why does it have to be in this, Lowly kind of like setting where people have to ingest alcohol. We have to be in some sort of room where there's like a smoking section, and I don't know. Well, like when you do a show, when Chimpsuit does a show, kids are there.
1: Mm-hmm. And when
0: you see little kids, when you see little kids at a rock show, it just is fucking crazy. It, it makes you realize, like, oh, there can't be little kids at a Darkest Hour show because this is a bar and we play at night. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like So, I've really just enjoyed jamming with them and kind of the different experience and I don't know, we'll we'll see what happens with Chimsuit if if it sees the light of day, but uh it's definitely been a cool it's been a cool ride for sure.
2: That's awesome. And who's in that band with you then? Is it's uh is it like a three piece or is it's it Me, a,
0: Amanda, no, it's a four piece. It's me, Amanda, Arthur, player in Rosendo is the drummer okay
2: and there's four of us chimp suit that's badass <laughs> that's awesome and a lot yeah, of man are you gonna are you I mean have you tried opening up darkest hour to more free space as far as where you play or do you do you kind of just rely on where you get uh, get booked as far as a booking agent throwing you guys out there into you know mostly 21 and over shows or you know 18 and over shows
0: No, I mean, Darkest Hour has played every DIY punk-style show in D.C. you can play. We've played basements, we've played free shows in parks, we've played protest shows on the mall, we've played protest shows at clubs, we've played benefit shows for DC, uh, other D.C. events and other D.C. DIY venues. I mean, we've definitely, for a heavy metal band, we've played every style of show. Mm -hmm. I mean, even on this tour, we played a... Pop up DIY show at a German style beer house. You know what I mean. (laughs) Just on a day off, rolled through Lake Tahoe and had like a hundred something people there going eight balls. You know, it's last minute, and that's just kind of like those. Some of those are the best shows, and are you you can't take away like.
2: What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Pure Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Distrokid. Distrokid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the Internet, Uh, You want to get those people paid when you put that music online, and splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits, and all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. slash PPP for 30% off.
0: Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.
2: Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3. Tier 1 is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier 2 gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier 3 is $20 a month. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure.
0: The influence that all these things that sort of aren't heavy metal have had on this band, and I think that's why I've been able to take this music and the style of music to so many places that other bands haven't like darkest hours toward all over the world in places where a lot of heavy metal bands won't go like Nova Scotia, Alaska, you know, Indonesia, like just all over the place in the U S small cities that most major heavy metal bands won't go also. Mm-hmm. And I think you just sort of learn that that's what, that's where we fit into the story. Like, when we're gone, that'll be part of the history and the legacy of this band. We were, you know, we were this hybrid of the sort of punk and heavy metal thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And is there some place that sticks out in your mind that really either you were maybe apprehensive about playing or, or you had certain expectations about, but once you got there and played, you know, it worked out for the best? Like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of places, but... You know, you mentioned like Nova Scotia. I'm from Alaska. That's where I first saw Pantera, ZZ Top, Ozzy. You know, because one or two bands a year came up there, and everyone yeah, yeah. went. You know, White Zombie. Everyone piled into trucks and went to Anchorage to see White Zombie, and then everyone talked about it. Everyone had a different story about how badass it was, or what had happened, or chasing the limousine afterwards. And I saw this person, and it was just so amazing. For us up there, I mean, Social Distortion is the first band I saw up there and completely changed my life. And, I mean, because you don't see anything. You see local bands, bar bands, or, you know, uh, just local punk bands, because, of course, we weren't of age, so we couldn't go see the bar bands play even. Um, You know, the, the people are starving in a lot of these places for music. I mean, did you find some of these places that were just out of control?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, Alaska isn't a small town, but it's it's kind of like a small town because it's secluded. Oh, yeah. You know? And uh, it's it's like, and I, I mean, I'm calling the state a small town, but you know, <laughs> basically Anchorage. But my my point is, uh, you know, some of the best shows are these small town. I don't want to say just like not major a markets because people are enthusiastic. There's less competition. And they're, they're just ready to be entertained. And when you go to the cultural centers, when you go to New York, L.A., even San Francisco, it's just there's a lot of entertainment going on here, and there's a lot of white noise cut through. So mm-hmm. we, of course, we enjoy small – I mean, also, like Eastern Europe, people are very, very friendly and cordial. They love heavy metal. Uh, Japan, they're very respectful and excited that you're there. Indonesia, the Philippines. they're very thankful and gracious. you know Australians are loud and friendly and uh, you know fr- the French people are a little coy and uh, you know they'll be backhanded sometimes, but they mean the best, you know what I'm I'm mysterious. It's real. like cultures cultures are visible when you are traveling in them on a day-to-day basis. When you are getting a little Polaroid of each city as you move along, you start to see there are visual, you know, differences between the way people live and the way they interact and the way they welcome foreigners into their country and the way they enjoy their music. So we sort of enjoy exploring all of that. And I will say some of the best times have been in those places where, You know, people don't, they aren't the major crossroads of culture, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And that's what is the reward for bringing the risks to everybody in all these other towns, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that helps shape your worldview as well. Your worldview expands every time you see one of these new places, meet these people. I mean, that's one of the really invaluable things of of touring that, that a lot of people don't understand is, Yeah, I mean, you're collecting the whole time. You're collecting from all these people, these stories, these experiences. I mean, I'm sure there's hilarious shit that's happened to you in the craziest places that you'll never forget. And, you know, no one can take that from you. And it's such a cool thing that comes along with touring. I mean, you spend a lot of time driving and flying and and sitting and trying to sleep. But at the same time, you're gathering so much information. I think... uh, I I mean, you just start to...
0: You just start to realize this is all bullshit, like money and borders mm-hmm. and just the structure of world economies. Like when you travel to all of these countries, you start to see that people are here on this planet. They're not any different. There's just different sets of rules and different territories. It starts to become plainly obvious that like something is wrong with the mass you know, acceptance we have of the way reality is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because, you you know, money is made up, like borders are made up, they are invisible, when you go to, you know, a state line, there is nothing there,
1: you know, yeah.
0: it's so fake, and being a world uh, anthropologist, or whatever the fuck we are, you know, be voyeurs of world living Mm -hmm. i'll tell you that's the one thing we can take away is that uh it's a shame that everybody is humanity can't get a little bit more global of a view because uh this is definitely a small planet
2: absolutely i mean it's, it's you could say it's like culture collectors because i mean you're literally absorbing this and just collecting it in your your conscious mind and and even your subconscious mind, where it affects your decisions, it affects how you look. I mean, you coming from the Washington D.C. area, I'm sure you have some political, um, you know, passions and, and uh, just being around that kind of. I mean, being around government so much, where you know, probably a lot of friends' parents work for the government or have their views on this and that. I mean, that's just going to expand your your arsenal to either come back at you know policies and things you don't agree with. Um, or especially like our current administration, um, you know how you view that a lot differently now than you probably did in two thousand three you know when you were f-
0: sure I mean well in 2003 we were we had put out this album that was very critical of George Bush mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was actually like kind of the most political we've been but uh, yeah I mean nowadays it, it is uh, it's a important thing to be an artist in Trump's America so, we are from Washington D.C., where I live. You walk into a barber shop, or you walk into a Radio Shack, or you walk into a chicken place, and everyone has CNN on. Everybody has Fox News on. It's like the center of the world to them, and so it's hard not to constantly watch politics, read about it, know know about what's happening in your city, and then you know to live in the place where people feel like is. So out of touch with the world, you know, or out of touch with America, I and mean, then to drive around in America and kind of see it after you live in the place that feels like it's the epicenter of it or thinks it is,
1: mm-hmm. it's pretty
0: funny, uh, you know, to get those two viewpoints. And the really interesting is is that people from Washington, D.C. think that they're the center of the country, but, you know, New York and, and uh, Los Angeles are a lot closer <laughs> to the center of it. But, you know, that's just that the D.C. pride that people can't let go of.
2: Absolutely. And so you also, and and this is something else that, that Mary had mentioned to me is that you, uh, you have a college degree in, it was it social work or sociology.
0: I, I have a degree in social work from George Mason university.
2: Okay. And, and I was curious how that's affected, um, you know, your output or the way you handle things or the way you take in these cultures when you're touring um, as far as, you know, I guess social work, I mean, you have some compassion for, you know, people that are in need or, or, uh, you know, uh, having a passion for that, seeing these countries, their people are, you know, impoverished way more than we are here. Um, you know, does that affect- I mean, a social
0: work, well, yeah, I mean, the social work degree, the one main thing it taught me is the idea of empathy, which mm-hmm. I think is, uh, greatly missing from most people's worldview. It is absolutely missing from Trump's America. But, uh, you know, definitely as a person who looks to the eyes of someone with a social degree, I don't think that I'm very qualified to dip back into the world of it, uh, being as I've been away from the clinical side of it for a really long time. But Mm -hmm. um, you can't help but use that, the the kind of training, like you learn how to ask open-ended questions, questions don't ask like with the answer with yes or no questions that dig into the way people feel and it absolutely changes the way that you interact with band members and people. But I'm also like uh, any other person out here and I'll freak out on people or get crazy just like anyone else. It's not like your degree is lets you impervious to that. But I will say without having gotten a college degree, I wouldn't have had the confidence to continue to stay where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And push hard at something I want to do, which is, you know, this band and this small business that we've created, you know. Yeah. So if I hadn't gone to to college, I wouldn't have had the confidence to, to say that I, like, you know, choose to be here. And I think that's a big deal because as I've watched some of my peers grow up and, uh, you know, walk the tightrope that is being a musician, I've seen them kind of hit the perils that come along with not having the confidence to have done anything else you know Mm -hmm. or have worked on another aspect of their life that you know become well rounded so uh, I would say that having got a degree has absolutely been important to my arc as a career musician Mm -hmm. but also it, it assumed when I was a kid that it would have been something that would have helped me because the entire time I was just frustrated that I was wasting time because all I wanted to be was on the road Mm -hmm. you know so perspective changes all that I'm sure
2: absolutely and the did you pay your your way through school did you do loans I mean what were you left with when you graduated did you have a lot of debt um or did you do it did you just work constantly (laughs)
0: um well when I went to college that works uh, three days a week as a bike messenger. Um, before the internet, uh-huh. they had these people that would ride around ride around on their bikes and deliver messages to people all day. <laughs> <laughs> and before 9-11, I'd go to all the government buildings and deliver shit there. And so I worked... I, what I did in college is I would stack my classes to two days a week, uh-huh. Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I moved to the city Three days a week, like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'd work as a messenger. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I'd get up at like 6 a.m., take the metro back to Virginia and stay out there all day to like 10.30 at night because I'd have classes all day, each day.
1: Uh-huh. And
0: uh, then towards the end, the last two years, on, on top of that, I also had a 40-hour-a-week internship. So I would be working half a day, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and then going to an internship ship those days, and then going to school Tuesday and Thursday. And during that time, we also recorded "So 8 our first Victory record. So uh-huh. I was definitely like a busy fucking dude around that time of my life. That's fucking I don't think crazy. I did anything else but all, all that
1: stuff.
2: Oh, my God. <laughs> and you guys, so did you guys have a good experience speaking of Victory? Did you guys have a good experience with Victory? I mean, I've heard horror stories, you know, I was, we were on Rise Records and and uh, Fearless, but never had any interaction with Victory.
0: I think, uh, you know, asking a band what their opinion of a record label is is dangerous. I get, because that is true. <laughs> there's a lot of, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of angles to be taken in. I mean, whether the Victory Records era was good for Darkest Hour or not is probably debatable by multiple people. I will say, we are thankful to have had the opportunities we've had.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think we've ever had a better relationship with a record label than the one we have now. Yeah, and I mean, it's not—I don't know—it's not really worth digging into that far into the past because there was a lot of uh there's a lot of people that had their hands on the steering wheel back then. You know,
2: true, very true. And you guys, I mean, with Southern Lord now, I mean, what a great label. I mean. I, when when Mike told me that that it had been licensed through Southern lord I was like man that's a great choice I mean with what they've been releasing lately and and uh, I mean their whole catalog is just brutal I I was really stoked to hear that and then listening to the record uh, you know it fit right in like it was it's just so heavy it's it's just amazing and and uh, you know so kudos on that and maybe Michael send you that review you can read it and laugh in the band but uh <laughs> It's, uh, you know, start to finish just, uh, you know, totally into it. And, and, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit to you about, I mean, you guys have done probably every festival out there pretty much. And I wanted to know how you guys deal with that, that side of things as far as, I think you guys did OzFest, right? Back in the, back in the yeah. early 2000s. We've done them
0: all, man. OzFest, Warp Tour, sounds the Underground, Rockstar Energy Drink, Mayhem, uh, taste the chaos um i can't remember all of them but yeah
2: well like going we from the road to on going from like the the road playing like i think you i think we played with you guys at some it's now a bike shop in portland oregon it's called it was called davy jones locker or something like that it was some squat that uh i, I don't remember who you guys were to i'm pretty sure we opened that show i'm trying to remember back but going from you know DIY venues and all this stuff to, uh, like Ozfest. Was that your first experience with a big, big festival? Like working with bands of that size oh, yeah. and something. What was that like? Like, and does does it still affect you the same way now? when you go to a festival where you're playing with, you know, these m- mega uh, multi million album selling artists. I mean, is it is it still is there? I mean, still every
0: one of those festivals. Every one of those festivals are, are learning experiences, you know? And
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, do I wish that this was the band that was on that Oz Fest? Oh, fuck. We would have crushed that thing. But we couldn't be the band we were now unless we've done that then.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: it's just really like I'm glad that we took the risk to do all those. You know, on a lot of those festivals, you do lose money. You take financial risks. And uh, I would say, like, we aren't the band; we wouldn't be the band we are today if we hadn't done those festivals and learned from every one of those shows. You you pick up new things, you know, moves, or the way you interact with the crowd, or what songs go well, or how the songs go to each other. I mean, it's just constantly an evolution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So those outdoor festivals were needed to, you know, get to that next level.
2: The same way as, like you're saying, the same way, you know, touring, you're just collecting things all the way along the way, which is, you know, adding to to that arsenal, which is just... Yeah, I
0: mean, that's how you write a great song. You pick from lots of other songs that you like, and you mash them all together, and that's how we've, you know, learned to make our live show, and that's how we've just, you know, taken that in... Injected that philosophy into every aspect of the band.
2: Mm-hmm. And so, I also wanted to touch on, um, you know, I've been getting you know texts and, and uh, photos from the DC Brow with that the beer you guys did with them, the Savor the Swill. How did that come about?
0: Well, you know, DC Brow is our beer of choice we pick when we go out and party on the town. Mm-hmm. So when we kind of decided we needed to. A- Branch out and do some some be- do a beer with this album. We couldn't think of anyone better, but then so them. So we hit them up. They were down, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I went down to the brewery. We talked about all the different styles of beer we like. We tried some. I mean, they really did their best to help us, you know, handcraft kind of a beer that would be darkest starry, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we went with the German style lager, a Hellas. It's a light beer. It's a low alcohol content and it was just a great, it was a great drink. You know I mean? goes down smooth. You can drink a couple of them
1: mm-hmm. and be at a rock
0: show and just have a buzz. You're not going to get floored. It's the bronze medal winner at the New York International Beer Festival. So we'll take third place any day of the week, and, uh, <laughs> you know, the beer pairs well with marijuana, so what else?
2: There you go, man. <laughs> the, full, the full encapsulation of the touring lifestyle. There you go, <laughs> man. Well, Mike, dude, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me tonight. And I know it's been some, you know, push it off here, push it off there with all the snow and, and, uh, scheduling stuff. But I really, uh, really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, like I say, the new record is fantastic. Um, you know, when is the release date for the record?
0: Um, well, thank for the you. Full, full and release. the, uh the, the full release is March tenth.
2: Okay, so, so two days from now. So uh,
0: Friday. Oh yeah, big day for us over here, man. Can't believe it's finally happening,
2: dude. But um,
0: thanks for doing the interview. Sorry we couldn't hang in person, but we will be back, dude. And absolutely. Uh, anytime you need, to, you want to talk life of a dude, a musician out here, I am down. So appreciate it, and uh, you know, see you when we get back to Portland, I guess
2: sounds great man i really appreciate it and good luck out there and congrats on the album release this will this will be airing uh next saturday so uh the album will be out by then so um all right kids get it yeah now you're hearing it
0: now so (laughs) go get it right
2: right on buddy well stay safe out there and and uh we'll talk to you soon thanks a lot cheers all right bye mike was my conversation with Mike Schleibom from Darkest Hour, one of the best guitar players around, and just an all-around cool dude. I would like to thank Mike Maori for hooking up this interview with Mike Schleibom and Mike Schleibom for coming on the show and being so gracious and taking his time out of his busy touring schedule to chat with me. And uh, we were supposed to meet in person at uh, the Analog Cafe in Portland, but Darkest Hour did have to cancel the Portland show and Seattle show due to snow. Uh, they were stuck in Reno for a few days, which absolutely sucks, but they will be back. He did say they will be back through to make up those shows, uh, and it's going to be an awesome time. I'm, I'm positive. That band is very, very kick-ass. So uh, definitely go check out peerpleasurepodcast.com for all the information about the upcoming shows, past guests, and we also have a new uh, show note guy, Bob from the Bob and Katie Show on uh, iTunes is going to be doing the show notes. He does the show notes for my career hour as well. Uh, but welcome to Bob and thank you for doing the show notes. You'll see those up here in a day or so uh, and you'll start seeing those every week. So definitely go check out the Bob and Katie show uh, on iTunes and uh, drop him a line and uh, check out those show notes. Um, so peerpleasurepodcast.com also has the store link now. We have three sticker designs up in the store for sale definitely check those out purchase some of those help support the show go through the Amazon affiliate link and definitely do some purchasing through there we get 4% of that and if you feel like donating to the show whatever it's worth to you there is a donate button on the website purepleasurepodcast.com definitely check us out on Instagram and Twitter and definitely check out the other Jabberjaw media shows Uh, we got some great content on there and uh, just brought in some news shows so definitely check them out And if you're listening to this on Adobe, we appreciate that too. Every week, 6 p.m. Eastern here on Adobe Radio. Uh, Once again, thanks to Mike Schleibom. Get the new Darkest Hour record, uh, Godless Prophets and the Migrant Flora. And we'll see you on the radio.